This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. If you have a question about sex or health, love, your body, your relationship, anything like that, anxiety, <laughs> I'll try and help you. Give us a call. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. The lines are open. You don't have to be shy. Um, or if you have a subject you want us to discuss, you can email me at sextalk at cknw.com. In confidence, of course, I always change your name and just a little bit about your email, so don't you worry. No need for anxiety. Uh, we're talking about how to educate the kids, since none of you were educated, and that's why I have a sex show and a clinical practice, so we don't want that. <laughs> um, even though I do enjoy it. I love this subject. I do love this work that I do. I have to say I love I love doing this work. It really does change lives. It. I feel like I'm helping people, I, just providing them with the education and the understanding and just uh, looking at things through a different lens is often very helpful. And so this might be a slightly different lens for you as well. I'm going to teach you about how to talk, how to teach your kids about masturbation. But first, we're going to talk about age-appropriate education, sex education, that is, for children. So always make sure that conversation is age-appropriate. Some of them are going to be a little bit more um, curious, shall I say, than others. Um, And uh, so, you know, we have to begin this early, even infancy up to two years. You know, two-year-olds can distinguish between uh, male and, and female and, and can figure that out. Early childhood, uh, between the ages of two and five years old, children should understand the very basics of reproduction. Always use the correct anatomical terms. If you don't know them, look them up. A man and a woman make a baby together. Uh, there are certainly other ways to have families and other ways to make babies as well. Might be a little bit young, between two and five years old, to talk about fertility issues or um, sperm retrieval or um, ICSI. And uh, so, but otherwise, for the most part, um, let them know that a baby grows in the woman's uterus. I did hear on when I was watching uh, Big Little Lies, I have to say, <laughs> they should have me as a medical advisor, but she said the baby grows in the mummy. Did she say the baby grows in the mummy's tummy? Or I think that's what, yeah. That's I think what that's I heard what when she I was said. younger too. The baby grows in the mummy's tummy. Yeah. And then, and then nurses think you're vomiting the baby when you have hyperemesis gravidarum. So that doesn't work. The baby grows in the mother's uterus. So teach them the appropriate words. Also teach them Around, about their own body, about privacy around body issues. They should know other people can touch them in some ways, but not in other ways. And do teach about that. And also, I've heard many women say that, you know, when they were abused as a child, as a 10-year-old, as an 11-year-old, in and around that age, they never told their mothers because their mothers would have accused them of seducing the, the pedophile, the criminal, the, the abuser, the horrific, horrible, in these cases, men. And, and so, you know what? Always believe your child. People typically don't make that, up, make that stuff up. So middle childhood, five to eight years old, they should have a basic understanding about gender, sexuality, heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality. We're going to go through some of those words a little bit later, some of those acronyms later on in the program. And know about the role of sexuality in relationships. And so there should be some basic social conventions of privacy, nudity, respect for others in relationships. And um, th- at this age, you should start to teach them about puberty. Because some children will actually um, 
experience some pubertal development before the age of 10. So it's a good idea to open up that conversation um, and start having that dialogue with kids. And between 9 and 10 years old, the tweens, they should be taught about safer sex and contraception. Tweens should understand what makes a positive relationship and what makes for a bad one. You know, there's a lot of uh, teenagers I've I understand that are in abusive relationships and they don't even realize that. And the tweens should also learn to judge whether depictions of sex and sexuality in the media are true or false, realistic or not, and whether they are positive or negative. And the teenagers, 13 to 18 years old, are generally private at that stage. But if parents have had the conversation all along, there should be no uh, reason not to advance that conversation as well. And so I I do want to mention a little bit about masturbation because that's like the most common question I get is how much masturbation is too much masturbation. And you know what? There can be too much masturbation, but if you can go to work and you can, you know, have a relationship and it's not impacting any aspect of your life, then it's fine. Um, And and so there's really no number uh, to have. But, you know, if you're constantly all day, you know, doing that, the, the desks are rising at work, there's an issue. But um, so you want to start, um, you know, having this conversation and most of the discussions revolve around boys, but girls masturbate as well. And this begins in that 10 to 13 age range. So whatever your child, whatever age your child is at when he or she makes this discovery is the time to start discussing when and where this behavior is appropriate. So I do want to say that kids should be taught that masturbation is healthy. um, And this way I don't have to teach it to 50 year olds. But it should be done in the privacy of their bedroom or bathroom. Perhaps you want to have a, a no doors locked on, on bedroom doors, but closed doors re- means privacy in a home and that a child deserves that as well. And you won't come in without knocking and you just want to be respectful. So don't lock the doors, but be allowed to have their doors closed, uh, respect the kids. And also for safety reasons, kids should be taught to never, never to use objects at this age and stage, only hands and to wash their hands when they're finished. Um, beyond that, they need to be allowed to explore their bodies freely and in private. I am Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW here. Maureen McGrath in the final strokes of the program. We are, Matt. Maybe some of you out there are stroking right now, too, <laughs> if you're still awake. Anyway, in the spirit of education, carry on with how to educate your children about sex. You're going to know some of the definitions, the terms, the glossary. So um, I have a list of different terms related to gender and their definitions for you. Asex means having no obvious sex or sex organs. Asexual can also refer to a person who does not experience sexual attraction. That doesn't mean they don't masturbate or don't date. Assigned female at birth or AFAB, people who are declared to be female at birth based on how their genitals appear and who are generally raised in a female gender role. Assigned male at birth or AMAB, people who are declared to be male at birth based on how their genitals appear and who are generally raised in a male gender role. What's trending these days in the delivery rooms is the fathers are wanting to announce the gender or the sex, I should say. I should not say gender. I should say it is the sex of the baby. And I was talking to some of my OBGYN friends that I work with at the North Vancouver Women's Clinic, and um, they were saying that sometimes they're so nervous they get it wrong. (laughs) Um, So that's happened a few times. And, you know, no big deal, I guess. Not really. 
but there also can be ambiguous genitalia. You know, it could, it's, it's rare. It doesn't happen very often, but um, uh, that could happen as well. So a lot of pressure on guys today, I tell you, you know, really. Um, between cutting the cord and uh, their, the cord of their own families, not to mention the cord of, um, of their babies, Okay, agender is identifying as having no gender. Bigender is identifying as having both male and female genders. Biological sex is the physical characteristics, including chromosomes, hormones, and anatomy that characterize people as male, female, or intersex, or ambiguous genitalia. Um, That's why you say sex. You don't say gender. Gender is social. Uh, is a social term. We socialize gender, but sex is what you are born. Cisgender is having a gender and gender identity that is the same as one's assigned sex at birth, but not transgender. Gender is the roles, attributes, and activities that society uses to define people. So I often hear people say they're this gen. The baby was this gender. They're not going to reveal the gender. That's actually incorrect terminology. They should be saying they're not going to reveal the sex. Um, because gender is based on many factors, including biology, socialization, cultural expectations, roles, and personal feelings. Gender fluid is a gender expression or identity that is not fixed, but changes across time or circumstances. Gender fluid people may present sometimes as men, sometimes as women, or sometimes as non-binary. Gender queer, gender non-conforming, gender non-binary is a gender variant person whose gender identity does not conform to the gender binary of male or female. They may identify as neither male nor female between or beyond genders or some combination of genders. I mentioned intersex is a person who is born with chromosomes, reproductive or sexual anatomy that do not fit the usual definitions of male or female. Transgender, having a gender that is different from a person's assigned sex at birth, not cisgender. A trans man, a man who was assigned female at birth. Transmasculine is an umbrella term for people who were assigned female at birth, but who identify as trans and whose gender expression leans toward the masculine. Trans woman, a woman who was assigned male at birth. Transfeminine is an umbrella term for people who were assigned male at birth, but who identify as trans and whose gender expression leans toward the feminine. And then there is two-spirit. That's a holistic term used by some indigenous communities to encompass sexual, gender, cultural, and or spiritual identities, including non-heterosexual and non-cisgender identities. So be a little bit more educated in terms of talking about these. I often get questions from parents of trans kids um, looking for resources and support. And so one that I can recommend is transkidspurplerainbow.org. There are a lot of helpful links there um, just about, um, just in terms of navigating these issues um, for your children and helping them to develop and grow to be the healthiest they possibly can. And of course, um, they can do that with your help. And the more educated you are, and the more, of course, accepting and making this as easy of a transition or um, experiences for them, the better. That's why it's good to, you know, use anxiety as a friend. Or uh, so if you're nervous about something, it may you may want to seek help for that. Or if you don't understand, it's always better to get the information. Um, so I had a nice little email, Matt. Dear Maureen, I enjoy your radio show, and speaking as a married man, I can relate. <laughs> it 
To what? I'm not really sure. No, I'm fortunate to have a loving and caring wife, and yet our sexual relationship isn't where I would like it to be. Anyway, I just want to tell you that your work matters. I showed your TEDx talk to my wife. I've seen it myself four times. I don't think she's watched it once. Your talk explains a lot and makes a ton of sense. All that said, I'm a very happy man. Love life. Love my wife and my children. Thanks for doing what you do. Harry. Thanks, Harry. That's really nice. It's nice to hear that um, the information is helpful for for people. And, and you know what? It's also kind of nice for other people to know that, you know, there may be other guys out there that are happy in their marriage, happy with their life, love their kids, of course, love their wives, but the sex isn't what it was earlier on in the relationship, or it may never have been that. That's the case um, in a lot of marriages as well. So how can porn help? What about women in porn? You know that women watch porn, right, Matt? You know they don't do it for you either, right? Anyway, <laughs> this is a guys are always think it's always about them, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, this is a Marie Claire study. It was a two year long journey, and there were 3,000 women in this survey who spilled the beans on how they engage in sexy screen time. And so, of the respondents watch it either every week or a few times a month. Uh, But uh, as I said, they're not watching it for the men in their lives or the partners in their lives. Um, 66% of the women who watch porn never watch it with a partner. And only 17% watch it to try and figure out what their partners want in bed. How do you like that? Uh, as opposed to talking to their partners about what their partners may want in bed, what they're exploring fantasies together. Uh, so, But this does underscore the fact that it is purely for their own enjoyment. And you know what? I think any partner can, can get on board with that. Many women, 62%, acknowledge using their phones to display their erotica of choice. Of course, uh, that leaves one hand free. Uh And this is why they are uh, watching porn. It is uh, to masturbate. And women do masturbate. Yes, I'm here. You heard it first here on the Sunday Night Sex Show. Um, A a lot of people don't think men masturbate. I'm just like, like, are you on crack or something? But anyway, I get that question so often. And even guys who are like, they'll be like with their wife and they'll be like, oh, of course, you know, like uh, she knows I masturbate. And they'll like have a little joke about it. And then they're like, um, is it normal? Is it okay? You know, like, and then she's like, oh yeah, sure. I know you do that. You know, and, and you can tell like she totally doesn't know, doesn't know. But anyway, um, 73% view porn because it is a quick road to experiencing an orgasm. Well, you know what a quicker road to experiencing an orgasm is, is a womanizer. <laughs> it's a clitoral device. A clitoral suckling device that is available on my website, backtothebedroom.ca. And we'll be making a debut, of course, at Hot Flash in the City, which is happening at Centennial Theater on October 19th. The information will be available on my website, I'm sure, by tomorrow. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's important that women experience orgasm, whether they are in their relationships or not. And so I always find that interesting, too, that... Women who do not have sex or are in sexless marriages, you know, they continue to masturbate, um, which is a, a very interesting phenomenon. Um, and also, a lot of women are concerned, about 56% are concerned about, although uh, porn turns them on, they're concerned about how the industry treats women or 
uh, they feel it's um, uh, it perpetuates negative stereotypes. But you can go to the Porn Project um, is and get some information about that. Um, and Make Love Not Porn is another um, good resource for that as well. Anyway, so that's about porn. But uh, we're going to head back and go into the final little stroke of this program. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. This show is nothing without you. I'll get singing again, I promise. I, I, I'm off my guitar I'm off my singing. I'm off my, well, I don't really sing. <laughs> I'm off my swimming. Like it has been, you know, I have to say when, when illness strikes <laughs> and it has struck me, I, you know, I, I hate, I hate being sick. I love life and it is such a drag, I have to say. So I'm off of everything. Um, but hopefully I'll get back, you know, cause you, you've got to do your commitments, right? And of course your family is the first and, um, they're useless. No. <laughs> you try to take care of them and, you know, you've done that for years and then you look for a, no, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm waited on left, right and center. <clears throat> um, and, uh, but also, um, you know, it's, it's not the same, but anyway. Um, so that's why I like to see sex research out there because sexually transmitted infections can certainly be an issue. It's the only thing aside from pregnancy that parents tend to teach their children about, but um, this, you know, condoms are, are not really, and I meant to actually look up, uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to get a stat on this, but, you know, how often people are wearing condoms. I'm hearing so much that uh, people are not wearing condoms. And uh, so, you know, we have to deal with that. And and I know there's been a call, especially by the Bill, Ga- Bill and Melissa Gates Foundation, uh, to develop a, a condom that is comfortable for people to wear and and thin and pleasurable and all that. And do you have something to? Uh... Yeah. Well, you were just <clears throat> looking. I don't. I mean, I just quickly googled in how what percentage of people wear condoms, mm-hmm. and the first thing I saw just looks actually doesn't look true to me. They're saying seventy eight percent of all men wear condoms, which I actually have a hard time believing that. Yeah, yeah I have a very hard time believing that yeah. as well. But um, I think that might be when they're cheating on their wives. <laughs> just Maybe. <kidding>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, 90% of men, I know this according to the John study, 90% of men who have sex, who um, uh, purchase sex, uh, actually with sex workers, wear condoms. 90%. So that's pretty good, I have to say. That is good. They just need to remember to put a lock on their cell phone now. This is true. If they could only just do the password thing, then, you know, that would be good. Um, but anyway, we digress, Matt. Uh, after sex antibiotics, I'm on antibiotics right now. <laughs> Not for that, but for this bronchitis, whatever it is. I'm on a double-barreled one, a moxclav. But uh, taking the antibiotic doxycycline, which is a very common and inexpensive and genericized uh, antibiotic, within 72 hours of condomless sex might reduce the risk of sexually transmitted infections in men who have sex with men, according to a new study. The findings were presented last month at the 2017 Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections that was held in Seattle, Washington. They found that the risk was cut by 47%, but the researchers did caution that more study is needed, of course, before the strategy can be recommended. But the study did involve 232 men who have sex with men who did not have HIV but were taking on-demand medications for HIV prevention. 
Half of the, men, of the men were instructed to take two 100 milligram pills of doxycycline within 72 hours of having sex without a condom, not exceeding six pills per week. The other half did not take doxycycline. All of the men were given condoms and received safe sex counseling. Every eight weeks, they were tested for HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis, and the medium, median follow-up time was 8.7 months. Overall, 73 patients contracted a bacterial sexually transmitted infection, 28 in the doxycycline group and 45 in the non-treatment group. 71% of the STIs were asymptomatic, which means that the men did not have any symptoms and they didn't feel sick. So this is also another important piece of this. Rates of gonorrhea were not much different between the groups with 25 men in the doxycycline group and 22 in the non-treatment group developing infections. Side effects did not appear to be a problem for either group, although, of course, more men in the doxycycline group experienced GI pain, nausea, or vomiting. So there's still lots more to learn about this research and, and more research to be done, but it certainly is another way to look at reducing sexually transmit the rate of sexually transmitted infections. Now, this one I have a really hard time talking about sexual satisfaction. As we know, as I talk about all the time on this show, is an important part of well-being. And yet, people living with chronic conditions, they often accept a diminished sex life as a trade-off for being alive, especially like cancer, for example. So, you know, I've tried it. It hasn't worked, people. <laughs> The sex, that is. So I'm feeling a bit of a of a fraud, <laughs> quite honestly. But um, when you're sick, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean to say when you're sick, you have to accept a diminished sex life, of course, unless you have bronchitis like I've had. But, you know, when women who go through cancer, they have surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and it is really important. They hear the word cancer and they are so concerned about being alive. That's the main order of the day. But once they're through the treatment, they may not feel as though they are really living life to the fullest. And so it's important, and there's some research out of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute um, that underscores that women need to actually, um, you know, they've, they've actually demonstrated that their health issues have eroded in their intimate relationships. So, or their health issues have eroded their intimate relationships. And you know what? That is true. That certainly does happen, but it doesn't have to happen that way. Of course, sexual topics are difficult for patients to discuss, for people to discuss. Healthcare providers, we've talked about that on the program in the past. Um, and often healthcare providers don't talk about sexual health issues or intimacy because they don't know what to do about them. So you don't necessarily need consultation from an expert. There's lots of organi- There's lots of um, resources out there um, for um issues that occur when you have a chronic illness or you've been diagnosed with cancer. Some of the common issues are um, difficult to tease apart from the chronic illness, like fatigue. So it's natural to tire more easily if you have pain or you're healing from surgery. And also pain is another issue. And so there are times that you might want to take your pain medication and so that you can be intimate with your partner. You might want to time that properly. Also, if there's nausea as an issue, you maybe want to take gravol. Um, and also lack of communication. That's why it's important to learn to communicate when you're well and healthy because if something should happen down the road, 
um, you may need to explore couples therapy if there if your cup if your partner is having difficulty adapting with your uh, chronic illness and it's difficult it's difficult to be somebody who is chronically ill. It's difficult to live with somebody who is chronically ill. There's lots of things people are afraid to have sex if they have cardiovascular disease. If you have diabetes, high blood glucose levels make women with diabetes more susceptible to yeast infections, vaginal yeast infections, and can heighten menopausal symptoms like vaginal dryness, mood changes, fatigue, and hot flashes. Going to learn all about that at Hot Flash in the City on October 19th at Centennial Theater in North Vancouver. We're showing a movie called Hot Flash Havoc. It's fantastic. It's We're going to have a blast. It's going to be a networking night, cocktail party, ladies' night out. So do come. We're going to learn all about this. Um, Well, anyway, it's time to wrap it up. Matt, thanks for another great uh, uh, show. Pleasure as always. Until next weekend. Supporting the sex in this town. Um, And uh, anyway, I appreciate your being in here and helping me by all means uh, every Sunday night live, of course. And uh, remember, go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Don't forget, if you have any questions about the Mona Lisa Touch, which is a new hormone-free laser therapy for vaginal dryness, by all means, email me. You can email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com or just go to my website. Follow me on Twitter, at backthenumber2thebedroom. And uh, remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980. CKNW, until next week, have a sexually healthy the week. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Thank you so much for being here with me this evening. This show is nothing without you. I'll get singing again, I promise. I, I, I'm off my guitar. I'm off my singing. I'm off my, well, I don't really sing. <laughs> I'm off my swimming like it has been, you know, I have to say, when when illness strikes <laughs> and it has struck me, I you know, I I hate I hate being sick. I love life and it is such a drag, I have to say. So I'm off of everything. Um but hopefully I'll get back, you know, cuz you you've got to do your commitments, right? And of course your family is the first and um they're useless. No. <laughs> You try to take care of them, and, you know, you've done that for years, and then you look for a... No, I'm kidding. Of course, I'm waited on. Left, right, and center. <clears throat> um, and, uh, but also, um, you know, it's it's not the same. But anyway, um, so that's why I like to see sex research out there, because sexually transmitted infections can certainly be an issue. It's the only thing, aside from pregnancy, that parents tend to teach their children about, but um, this, you know, condoms are, are not really, and I meant to actually look up, uh, I'm not sure we'll be able to get a stat on this, but, you know, how often people are wearing condoms. I'm hearing so much that uh, people are not wearing condoms. And uh, so, you know, we have to deal with that. And and I know there's been a call, especially by the Bill, Gates, Bill and Melissa Gates Foundation, uh, to develop a, a condom that is comfortable for people to wear and and thin and pleasurable and all that. And do you have something to? Uh... Yeah. Well, you were just <clears throat> looking. I don't. I mean, I just quickly Googled in how what percentage of people wear condoms, mm-hmm. and the first thing I saw just looks actually doesn't look true to me. They're saying seventy eight percent of all men wear condoms, which I actually have a hard time believing that. Yeah, yeah I have a very hard time believing that yeah. as well. But um, I think that might be when they're cheating on their wives. <laughs> just Maybe. <kidding>. Yeah. <laughs> Kidding. No, 90% of men, I know this according to the John study, 90% of men who have sex, who um, uh, purchase sex, uh, 
actually with sex workers wear condoms. 90%. So that's pretty good, I have to say. That is good. They just need to remember to put a lock on their cell phone now. This is true. If they could only just do the password thing, then, you know, that would be good. Um, but anyway, we digress, Matt. Uh, after sex antibiotics. I'm on antibiotics right now. <laughs> Not for that, but for this bronchitis, whatever it is. I'm on a double-barreled one, a moxclav. But uh, taking the antibiotic doxycycline, which is a very common and inexpensive and genericized uh, antibiotic, within 72 hours of condomless sex might reduce the risk of sexually transmitted infections in men who have sex with men, according to a new study. The findings were presented last month at the 2017 Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections that was held in Seattle, Washington. They found that the risk was cut by 47%, but the researchers did caution that more study is needed, of course, before the strategy can be recommended. But the study did involve 232 men who have sex with men who did not have HIV but were taking on-demand medications for HIV prevention. Half of the the men were instructed to take two 100-milligram pills of doxycycline within 72 hours of having sex without a condom, not exceeding six pills per week. The other half did not take doxycycline. All of the men were given condoms and received safe sex counseling. Every eight weeks, they were tested for HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and syphilis, and the median median follow-up time was 8.7 months. Overall, 73 patients contracted a bacterial sexually transmitted infection, 28 in the doxycycline group and 45 in the non-treatment group. 71% of the STIs were asymptomatic, which means that the men did not have any symptoms and they didn't feel sick. So this is also another important piece of this. Rates of gonorrhea were not much different between the groups with 25 men in the doxycycline group and 22 in the non-treatment group developing infections. Side effects did not appear to be a problem for either group, although, of course, more men in the doxycycline group experienced GI pain, nausea, or vomiting. So there's still lots more to learn about this research and, and more research to be done, but it certainly is another way to look at reducing sexually transmit the rate of sexually transmitted infections. Now, this one I have a really hard time talking about sexual satisfaction as we know, as I talk about all the time on this show, is an important part of well-being. And yet, people living with chronic conditions, they often accept a diminished sex life as a trade-off for being alive, especially like cancer, for example. So, you know, I've tried it. It hasn't worked, people. <laughs> the sex, that is. So I'm feeling a bit of a, of a fraud, <laughs> quite honestly. But um, when you're sick, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean to say when you're sick, you have to accept a diminished sex life, of course, unless you have bronchitis like I've had. But, you know, when women who go through cancer, they have surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, and it is really important. They hear the word cancer and they are so concerned about being alive. That's the main order of the day. But once they're through the treatment, they may not feel as though they are really living life to the fullest. And so it's important, and there's some research out of Dana-Farber Cancer Institute um, that underscores that women need to actually, um, you know, they've, they've actually demonstrated that their health issues have eroded in their intimate 
relationships. So or their health issues have eroded their intimate relationships. And you know what? That is true. That certainly does happen. But it doesn't have to happen that way. Of course, sexual topics are difficult for patients to discuss, for people to discuss. Healthcare providers, we've talked about that on the program in the past. Um, and often healthcare providers don't talk about sexual health issues or intimacy because they don't know what to do about them. So you don't necessarily need consultation from an expert. There's lots of organi- There's lots of um, resources out there um, for um, issues that occur when you have a chronic illness or you've been diagnosed with cancer. Some of the common issues are um, difficult to tease apart from the chronic illness, like fatigue. So it's natural to tire more easily if you have pain or you're healing from surgery. And also pain is another issue. And so there are times that you might want to take your pain medication and so that you can be intimate with your partner, you might want to time that properly. Also, if there's nausea as an issue, you maybe want to take gravel. Um, and also lack of communication. That's why it's important to learn to communicate when you're well and healthy, because if something should happen down the road, um, you may need to explore couples therapy if they're, if your cup, if your partner is having difficulty adapting with your uh, chronic illness. And it's difficult. It's difficult to be somebody who is chronically ill. It's difficult to live with somebody who is chronically ill. There's lots of things people are afraid to have sex if they have cardiovascular disease. If you have diabetes, high blood glucose levels make women with diabetes more susceptible to yeast infections, vaginal yeast infections, and can heighten menopausal symptoms like vaginal dryness, mood changes, fatigue, and hot flashes. Going to learn all about that at Hot Flash in the City on October 19th at Centennial Theater in North Vancouver. We're showing a movie called Hot Flash Havoc. It's fantastic. It's We're going to have a blast. It's going to be a networking night, cocktail party, ladies' night out. So do come. We're going to learn all about this. Um, Well, anyway, it's time to wrap it up. Matt, thanks for another great uh, uh, show. Pleasure as always. Until next weekend. Supporting the sex in this town. Um, And uh, anyway, I appreciate your being in here and helping me by all means uh, every Sunday night live, of course. And uh, remember, go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. Don't forget, if you have any questions about the Mona Lisa Touch, which is a new hormone-free laser therapy for vaginal dryness, by all means, email me. You can email me at nursetalk at hotmail.com or just go to my website. Follow me on Twitter, at back, the number two, the bedroom. And uh, remember, when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath, and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980. CKNW, until next week, have a sexually healthy week. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.